From Miami Law, I'm Aned Uges, and this is The Explainer. It could be fun to own this big company, and I want to save democracy, and I want to save free speech. And those things are weighty, huge issues that I don't know that, you know, owning a car company or a space shuttle company is one thing. Owning a company, a platform that can literally shift democracies around is a whole other level of responsibility. So not just as it was he bored, but it's a huge ego rush because, you know, we have seen tweets that have sparked revolutions. Welcome to Season 9 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Elon Musk is trying to abandon his April agreement to buy Twitter for $44 billion, claiming the company downplayed the number of fake and spam accounts. Marcia Noreen Weldon posts some expertise on today's episode. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. So Musk has had a rather tempestuous relationship with Twitter going back for years. Can we just start with a, a brief primer to bring us up to date? Sure. So Musk has had a complicated relationship because he never seems to know what he wants. He joined the platform in 2009. He's tweeted you know, over 19,000 times. He's got over 107 million users. Um, and he's talked about this bots problem, which is part of the reason he's trying to get out of this deal both positively and negatively. So he championed efforts to remove the fake accounts throughout 2018, but he's become highly critical of the bots. And it's something to think about whether he's genuine, by the way, that's the concern or not, whether it's the monthly average users, the bots, it's really hard to tell what his issue is. Personally, I think part of the reason he's trying to get out of the deal is that the stock market's going down. He's had to, he doesn't have you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in cash lying around. It's really based on his financing is based on his assets, which are mainly shares in his other companies. So when those shares go down, his net worth goes down. That's really what's likely the issue. Because if you see, he's actually made several different reasons as why this deal can't go through. And they're all different from each other. He seems to keep looking for excuses. So it's not like your regular Joe that just stops buying meat for a minute. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so much yeah. bigger than that. And, 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 the, you know, and the story of him trying to buy Twitter itself is so odd about why he would even want it because, you know, there's been, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, these texts going back and forth, which is just a treasure trove of insanity and delight for anybody to see that these people are like regular individuals who say stupid things over a text. But it was along the lines of, hey, it could be fun to own this big company and I want to save democracy and I want to save free speech. And those things are weighty, huge issues that I don't know that, you know, owning a car company or a space shuttle company is one thing. Owning a company, a platform that can literally shift democracies around is a whole other level of responsibility. So not just as it was he bored, but it's a huge ego rush because, you know, we have seen tweets that have sparked revolutions. And so to the extent that you have someone who says, I'd like to take away all censorship and the friends, the very powerful friends that he has that were encouraging to do that, it's a much bigger deal than a rich guy trying to take over a company, which is interesting to corporate law people like me, but not interesting to most people. And I think the reason that people have become so exercised about it in the legal field is just that 
this person that has power that may try to take this company private, meaning no need to disclose 8Ks, 10Ks, you know, 10Qs, all those different kinds of disclosures, don't disclose your numbers, wants to do a situation where we say, let's get rid of censorship, let's get rid of, let's let people put whatever they want to. That's interesting, theoretically. Um, he'll have to probably won't be able to rely on the advertising strategy because those big advertisers are not going to want to be affiliated with a free for all wild, wild west. Whereas, you know, Facebook and others, they and Instagram, they tend to get small businesses. Facebook has relied, I mean, Twitter has relied on large companies and those large companies are risk averse. So he'll theoretically take away the censorship. Um, maybe have a pay for a platform because otherwise there's got to be some way to make money off this platform. And even though he's a eccentric billionaire, I'll use the word eccentric in quotes, uh, he still wants to make money, right? So at some point it can't just be about a vanity play. Right. Um, so you've talked a little bit about maybe why he wants, maybe why he doesn't want Twitter. Is there anything to add to that? Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a bigger issue. I do genuinely believe that he has concerns about censorship on the platform. And it's interesting, I, uh, in classes I teach at University of Miami, we've talked about tech companies and their responsibilities in society. And a lot of my students, as much as people talk about cancel culture, et cetera, a lot of my students don't like the amount of censorship that Twitter and others have done. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, data point because there are people who are really concerned about a lack of censorship, but there are a lot of people who are concerned and, and support the theory that this should be a platform where speech is truly free uh, for whoever it is that, that plans, plans to say things. You know, the marketplace of ideas, and to the extent that we're looking at this as one of the biggest marketplaces of ideas there is, that's fantastic until you have insurrections, riots, killings, et cetera, um, which are the kinds of issues that Facebook slash Meta is dealing with in terms of content moderation around the world. So it's a bigger issue, um, but that's where I think is, is the most interesting part. And to the extent that it's likely that most legal experts would say that Musk will likely lose this deal with Twitter, lose the, and he will have to buy it. The question is, will Twitter's victory, what will that mean for the rest of us? So what's at stake when, when Twitter's case goes before the chancery court this month? Well, I'll step back a little bit because last week, uh, the CEO of Twitter and Elon Musk were both supposed to have their depositions. And that's when they are stating things under oath. Uh, and both of them were rescheduled until this week. So those, the depositions are happening allegedly this week. A lot of times in a deposition, things will settle quickly after that. Right. So I, there's speculation about whether this case will ever get to the Chancery Court for trial on October 17th. First of all, there's questions that have been rumbling around for the past few days after this release of all these text messages about whether there'd be settlement. The problem is, and you know, although I, I teach corporate law as a litigator for many for most of my legal career, uh, and the problem is that it's hard when you have a client like Elon Musk who is opinionated. Uh, and forceful and powerful, sometimes you have what's called client control problems. And there's only so much you can prep somebody for a deposition or a trial. So I'm sure that there are people trying to say this case should settle, especially after looking at some of those tweets, which can undercut some of his theories. Then he's going to be deposed if that happens. And often you'll find that uh, some misstatements, stray remarks, or 
truthful remarks that may not be helpful to the case could come out. And that often will lead to settlements. Either It could be on either side, by the way. A Twitter CEO could say something or Musk could say something. And then the other thing that typically happens before you get to a trial is the judge will try to push the parties to settle. And I'd be surprised if that wasn't happening already. They can't force a settlement. But you know, from a reasonable people could disagree, but I think most people think that Twitter has the better argument. So then what could actually happen, right? So Twitter's demanding that you go through with the trial. Option A, the court says, look, I'm gonna let him walk away scot-free. I see the inherent value in his arguments. Very unlikely. All right, and basically his arguments are that Twitter has made misrepresentations about a number of different things. And most recently, Twitter had a whistleblower come out, a powerful whistleblower come out. Now Musk is hanging his hat on that, saying those revelations also mean that there's been you know, material adverse effects. It's, there's more information. Twitter was not truthful. I didn't know these things. Had I known these things, I wouldn't have wanted to do this, which is the same argument he made about the bots, which likely is not true, the monthly average users, et cetera. So there's that argument. So let's say the judge says, I think you're right. There's been all these misrepresentations. You shouldn't have to go through the deal. Don't think that's likely to happen. He's basically claiming that these misrepresentations are what's called an MAE, a material adverse effect. That's typically difficult to, to crush the deal. And you don't really see that happening. It's a dramatic thing that's supposed to cause a major change in the long-term viability and value of the company. These issues have been known by others for, for a long time. Um, so that's not likely going to happen. He could, the, the judge could, you know, she could go ahead and say, right, you got to go ahead and pay the breakup fee, which is a billion dollars, right? And that's per the terms of the agreement. But that's likely, most people say that that would have to be, uh, that the $1 billion would likely not be enough, and Twitter would fight that. Um, and the next thing would be that there's, you know, got to buy the whole thing, go through the whole deal, which is what's likely I think the second likely thing would be that it's not the $1 billion breakup fee, but something more, and that Twitter would accept something and maybe five to $10 billion. So I think in likelihood of, and you know, don't quote me on this as we're in recording, there's a list on forever, <laughs> right? So likely, I think he's got to go through with the deal. That's number one. Second, likely uh, an, an enhanced um, set of penalties, not the $1 billion breakup fee, but a settlement that's somewhere between 5 and $10 billion. I think least likely is that he doesn't have to do anything and walks away scot-free. The thing that's interesting, though, is that, um, you know, they could have a, he's still a buyer, but they could have a settlement negotiate where he just buys it at, a, at a, a lower price, which is what he could have been angling for all along. And then there's the final thing about what happens with the chancery, where there's some speculation because, you know, this is so juicy for corporate law people, that what happens if the court requires him to go through the sale and he says no, and he just tries to defy it. You know, this would be unheard of, except for the fact that we have many people in the United States, including members of government that don't accept a valid election from 2020. <laughs> so, so given that fact, and given the fact that we're going through hearings about insurrections and that kind of stuff, it's not so unlikely. And Musk has defied the SEC in the past, has made uh, unfavorable comments about California regulators that try to do certain things. So it is not impossible, but I would say it is unlikely. But you could see some people thinking that that could be an issue. And then what does that mean? As we're looking at the legitimacy of the electoral process from a political perspective, what does it say if a, the most powerful businessman in the world chooses to defy a court order for the most respected 
corporate court in the world. That would be something. That's kind of popcorn mm. munching for people like me. They're like, this could be interesting. <laughs> but I have to imagine that there's people in his circle that will say, look, even for you, Elon, this, we, you can't do this because it'll hurt other business interests. So again, assuming that he has some level of pragmatism and has surrounded himself by people who have some sense, they're going to say, just go ahead and respect the court order and, and, and do what the court says to do. Okay. Worst case scenario yeah. is he's got to pay $44 billion um, and Twitter gets owned by a man who has publicly disparaged the platform. <laughs> More fun. Mm -hmm. um, so so you mentioned a little, um, speaking of popcorn munching, um, you know, his posse and and all of the, the tweets and, and texts and stuff that came out uh, in Discovery. Can you talk a little about that? Well, first of all, you know, you, you always wonder, like, what do billionaires talk about, right? And they talk about stuff like how we talk about it. They talk, there's one from one person saying, hey, we can run this for you. Can you get my son a job? You know, you know, along the lines of, hey, can you connect me with that recruiter at your company? Same kind of stuff. Like there's this random things like that. But some of the most interesting ones were, you know, between Larry Ellison, you know, from Oracle and, and Elon Musk on April 20th, where Musk is saying, hey, look, this is oversubscribed. You want to participate in this thing? And, and, and Ellison says, Sure, like how much? What do you think? Like a billion or you know, whatever you think makes sense. And Musk says, Well, I don't know. I think two billion is a little better. That would be like you and me having a conversation. Where should we go for dinner? Oh, I think I'd like to go to this place. No, let's go to the more fancy place in town. But whatever you think, all right, let's just go. It'll be fun. They literally say it'll be fun. There's lots of texts where these billionaires are talking about having fun with billions of dollars at stake. I think that's one thing. But then there's also the issue of just all of these texts coming out with people wanting a piece and also people like Joe Rogan and others and Joe Rogan not being a surprise saying, you know, are you going to finally help us with democracy? So you'll see the powerful people that are kind of giving their, their takes on what Twitter could mean and, and, and the sale of what Twitter could mean and what a new Twitter would look like. And I think that's particularly interesting. Um, are and, we just yes. going into another truth social then? I think possibly, right? But you know, Twitter's legal team is kind of building a, a case around some of the texts, right? Because there's texts where Musk talks to a Morgan Stanley banker and says, look, I want to slow down the deal. And it wouldn't make sense to buy this if we're heading into World War III with Russia. So it really goes to undermine a lot of the context of, well, I'm really worried about the bots and I'm worried about the monthly average users and I'm worried about this whistleblower. No, it really comes down to what all people care about you and I and billionaires, in, you know, as well, is it going to cost too much? Am I going to lose right. money? It's really right. all about the money and less about the high, high minded. I've been misled and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, always interesting. Anything to add in closing? Yeah, I think there's two things, right? The one was the thing I talked about before, what would happen if he defied a court order, uh, which I don't think will happen, but you never say never. And if it was ever going to happen, it'd be somebody like him. Right. And second is, you know, I've been practicing law for 30 years, mainly as a litigator and also being doing compliance. And one thing I always tell people is don't ever put anything in a text message or an email that you would not want to see on the front page, of the wall street journal, the New York times. And this case is exhibit a for that. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. See you around. See you around.
for joining us for this season of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Miami Law is home to more than a dozen areas of study at the graduate and postgraduate levels, including litigation, arbitration, and dispute resolution. For more information, visit law.miami.edu. 